Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode of Weekly Spooky is brought to you by Boggy Creek, the series, free to watch on Tubi. Follow the exploits of Roger and Sarah, two researchers of the American Yeti Project, as they investigate Bigfoot and try to find proof positive of the legendary monster. But what other mysteries will they uncover in the mysterious backwoods of Boggy Creek? Starring Eric Roberts of The Dark Knight, Brink Stevens of Slumber Party Massacre, Mike Halinski of Haunted House and Sorority Row, and Joni Durian of Babysitter Massacre. Bigfoot just might be the least of their worries as they encounter cursed scarecrows, serial killers, witches, dangerous bank robbers, and ruthless poachers, among many others. So check it out today, free to stream on Tubi. Boggy Creek, the series. Executive produced by Fred Olin Ray, and directed by Henrik Kuto. Hey, that's me. What's that? You want to be scared? Come with me. You will experience tales of horror, ghosts, and death. It is not recommended for the weak at heart. Listeners in the dark, it's more fun that way. This is Weekly Spooky. Hello, my friends. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. It's time for a little spooky in your weekly. I'm your host and narrator, Henrik Kuto, and I'm so happy to have you back. Whether it's your first time here, or you've been with us since the bloody beginning, please make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast app. And while you're at it, if you want to help the show at zero cost to you, just leave us a little review or a star rating. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, your review helps us find twisted, like-minded folks who might enjoy a little terror. And if you want to help the show, and you don't mind getting your hands a little dirty, you can go to weeklyspooky.com and click on Store. Get yourself all kinds of fun merchandise to stay warm as our spring has not necessarily sprung yet. Or even better, you can click on Patreon, and for as little as $1 a month, you can support the program and get 
exclusive bonus podcasts every single month. That's for as little as $1. But enough about supporting the show. Let's talk about supporting our mental health. You see, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time thinking about insanity. Sometimes I imagine what it would be like, locked up, observed, and researched. I mean, we all go a little mad sometimes, don't we? But what if you were crazier than anyone could ever imagine? What if the insane imagery pumping through your mind wasn't even yours to begin with? What if it was coming from somewhere more sinister? Get back, relax, and let's listen now. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Maggie Blue by David O'Hanlon. Maggie Gillespie always wore blue. Since she was little, those cool, somber shades had found their way into her attire. She was twelve when Bree pointed it out. Her stepsister was the same age as her, which was the end of their similarities. Bree was the poster child of the decade. She wore her hair big with bright scrunchies that usually matched a pair of ankle warmers, acid-washed jeans, and gaudy t-shirts. Maggie was... blue. Her attraction to the color seemed reflected in her personality, to the point that all the other kids called her Maggie Blue. It was August of 94 that Maggie wore a different color. Freshly graduated from college... Maggie was about to begin an actual career. Bree decided they should go thrifting to refresh Maggie's work ensemble. There's no uniform, but there is a dress code, Maggie said, 
So? Bree held up the purple parachute pants with a bemused grin. Okay, maybe these are a little out there. A smidge. Besides, I already found some things. Maggie held up three pieces of apparel. A cardigan, sky blue. A scarf, navy blue. And a blouse, Prussian blue. Bree sighed and pinched the bridge of her nose. Maggie's shoulders sagged knowing Bree was disappointed, as usual. Mags, it is a hundred and three outside. You don't need a scarf or a cardigan. Bree took them. The top is cute. What about a skirt to go with it? Maybe a second shirt that's... different. They browsed the second-hand shop for another thirty minutes. Bree was on the verge of giving up when her sister rounded a clothing rack with an ear-to-ear smile. I think you'll like what I found. Maggie kept the garment behind her back. It's something different, for sure. Bree tried to look enthusiastic. If Maggie was feeling daring, it might be turquoise or teal. She held her hands apart to signal she was ready for the big reveal. Maggie whipped around and held it up, drawing a gasp from Bree. <gasps> it's... it's perfect, Mags! Bree examined the dress, a saffron sheath with subtle yellow pinstriping and little abalone buttons. Maggie beamed with pride as Bree excitedly complimented her choice. After they finished thrifting, they went to their favorite lunch spot, and then Maggie called it a day. She wanted to make sure she had everything ready and a good night's rest before her first day at San Pasqualito Federal Sanitarium. I thought there weren't any more of these places, Maggie said. She checked her reflection in the bulletproof glass at the security booth. She couldn't get over how comfortable she felt in the not-blue dress. The guard slid her magnetic keycard through a narrow slot. Deinstitutionalization, you mean, Dr. McFraser said. Mental health has changed. We, the field that is, are learning new things every day. We've got new drugs, new methods, new understanding. It's great, really, it is. But, Maggie asked, the sanitariums weren't needed anymore. A lot of them should have been shut down long before, if you ask me. Mick swiped his keycard and the heavy door opened. He waved Maggie through first. We used to treat the mentally ill like criminals. At the same time, most of the folks claiming insanity got sent to prisons. Didn't make much sense. And we're here for the ones that are actually criminally insane? The first two floors are. Mick led them down a hallway, and Maggie tried to contain her smile. The walls were a pastel blue. They left the central building through a pair of barred doors with electronic locks. He waved at the long stretch of the eastern wing of the building. It was painted the same peaceful shade, with white doors on either side. The first floor is dedicated to non-violent offenders. The patients here are referred to as guests. If they behave and do the therapy, they can get moved or maybe even released altogether, Mick explained. This floor has common rooms, a gym, a solarium, and access to an outdoor picnic area. Meals are served in a community dining hall as well. The guests are harmless, but don't get complacent when working with them. Got it. The second floor houses the residents. They're going to be here for a while, and then, at best... 
It's State Hospital for Life. Mick shrugged and continued up the stairs as they bypassed the floor. They're all violent offenders. Naturally, we try to move them as little as possible, so each wing has everything we need for their services. Everyone on the second floor has a real issue, though. Something with a real diagnosis attached. What do you mean, real diagnosis? They arrived at the third floor and stepped into a cage. Mick gripped the bars and looked into the hallway beyond. I don't come up here anymore, Mick shuddered. This will be your floor, and is the reason we're still open. We call these patients the shareholders for that reason. They're never leaving. Not this building, not this floor, not their rooms. And they don't have real diagnoses? No one knows what the fuck is wrong with them, he said bluntly. The purpose of Pasquale is to find out what makes them the way they are. We're trying to... Diagnose evil, Miss Gillespie. Evil is the diagnosis. We're trying to find a fancy name to tack on it. A gruff, mortuary cold voice said from behind them. Maybe a cutesy acronym. This is Wallace, Mick turned. He runs the place. It's a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Wallace. Maggie extended her hand between the bars to the short, stocky man. We have rules, Wallace grumbled. Those should have been explained before the tour. Maggie retracted her hand. Sorry. First rule is barriers exist for a reason. Keep your hands inside them. Second rule is to always simply address me as Wallace. Not doctor, not sir, not boss. Just Wallace. It keeps me segregated in the minds of the patients. Titles come with expectations and prior experiences. By not having one, I can be whatever is best needed in dealing with each of the patients. That makes sense, sir. Wallace? Maggie cleared her throat. I'm glad you approve of my methods. Wallace opened a gate on his side with a large key and joined them. He shut the door, relocked it, and then opened the other side. He stepped out and walked to the second door on the left. Shareholders don't leave their rooms. The adjacent rooms have been turned into a space where we can work one-on-one with each of them. You'll spend most of your day in one of these, working with your patient. Only one? Maggie looked around the hall. I assure you I can handle a heavy workload. It will be, Wallace said. You'll be working with 37. Maggie started to speak when Mick answered the anticipated question. No one knows, he said. 37 is his room number. He's been here 40 years and never spoken a word. He spends his days drawing murder scenes. We don't know if he's working from memory or imagination. Neither one makes sense. How so? Maggie asked. He's drawn things he couldn't have seen. Fashion trends, cars, that sort of thing. He did a perfect Camaro. He couldn't get the details right if he was just making it up, but he's never left that room, so it can't be from memory either. Then how do you explain it? That's what I want to find out, Wallace informed her. In 1954, a mute vagrant with no ID killed 17 women over the course of a three-day rampage. Committing him seemed right, yet he shows no signs of mental illness. I think 37 can prove the existence of evil as a quantifiable medical condition. Let's go meet him. Wallace led the way and opened the door to the interview chamber. 
Maggie stepped in and watched. His room was narrow with a toilet and a small shower without a curtain. A drain in the center of the concrete floor took care of anything that spilled. His bed was mounted to the wall and consisted of a stitched-in pillow and a singular blanket. The patient sat on the floor, nude, scribbling furiously at a page. He sat up straight when he noticed the observers. "'Is it safe letting him have colored pencils?' Maggie asked. "'Well, I'm not going in there to take them,' Mick answered. "'He's never self-harmed. It's the only way he can communicate with us,' Wallace explained." The man finished his drawing and hurriedly rushed to the window, pressing it against the glass. Maggie gasped and Mick banged on the window. "'What the hell, Wallace?' the young doctor demanded. "'How did he do that?' Thirty-seven slipped the drawing into a drawer and pushed it through to the other side. "'It's a coincidence,' Wallace said. Maggie took the drawing and shivered. The victim's face was obscured with hair and blood, but the dress— The saffron and yellow dress was identical to her own. I want all of his drawings to take home tonight, Maggie said. Wallace nodded. Maggie pushed the intercom button. Thank you for the drawing. I'm your new therapist. 37 waved and went to supplies on the floor. He picked up a pencil, discarded it, and selected another. He scribbled a note and returned to the window. I know. Nice to meet you. The note read in neat, blue lines. He's never done that before, Mick whispered. Thirty-seven held up a finger and wrote on the other side of the page. He flipped it to the glass. Barriers exist for a reason. Another coincidence? Mick asked. The patient scratched out his previous message and wrote again, turning the new message to face Maggie. It's a pretty dress. I'm sorry. Guests can be rude. This is amazing, Wallace muttered. I see blue with red on it. Maggie squinted with confusion and pressed the button again. Can you draw it? Not yet. Maybe tomorrow, then, Maggie said. We can talk more and you can tell me what to call you. Thirty-seven waved before returning to his art for good. Maggie and the two men left the observation room and began their descent. Records are on the first floor, Wallace said. You're welcome to take the drawings home, but there are quite a few. He's done at least one every day since he arrived here. They're actually what got him committed, Mick added. He drew the murders. The cops had nothing else to go on. He never argued. I mean, fuck. He's never communicated beyond asking for more pencils. Has he drawn the same thing more than once? Maggie asked. Some are close, but never direct copies, no, Wallace shrugged. You think you've already found the white whale? Mick asked, incredulously. You said he couldn't have seen things he's drawn. Likewise, he couldn't have seen my dress. So, how was he drawing it? You think he's getting out of his room? Wallace asked, defensively. No, Maggie shook her head. I'm not sure what I think, honestly. I just want to go over the images he's produced, try to catalog them and see if there's any patterns or anomalies. You said he's drawn fashion trends. Did he draw them while they were popular or before or after? Wallace stopped abruptly. A patient stood outside one of the rooms knocking on the door. 
The front of his gown was pitched with an oversized erection. He started knocking more frantically. Glenn, Wallace said sternly, but without yelling. Why are you out of your room? What are you doing on this wing? It hurts, Glenn screamed. Mick pulled Maggie close to him. Glenn is harmless. He has a blood flow issue that causes painful erections. He's done some uncivilized things to release the pressure, he whispered. Let's get you back to your room, Wallace said. You can't be here, Glenn. Guards came around the corner, huffing from exhaustion. Some bitch ran through the solarium window, one of them explained. That was very dangerous, Glenn, Wallace said. Did you cut yourself? My arm, Glenn said, turning to show Wallace the bloody appendage. Come here, Wallace said with a fatherly authority. Give me a better look. Glenn began a slow shuffle towards them when he took notice of Maggie standing just behind Wallace. Pretty dress, Glenn whined and hunkered over. His words became strained from the increasing pain. So fucking pretty. I hate it. Glenn straightened and sprinted toward Maggie. Wallace caught him around the waist. The patient swatted at him, then moved his hand to the ragged wound on his forearm. Watch out, Maggie cried. Glenn ripped the shard of glass from beneath the flesh and buried it into Wallace's neck until the stocky facilitator collapsed. Glenn slashed wildly, cutting Maggie above the left eye. Mick grabbed her and pulled her away. The guards tackled Glenn to the floor as Mick got the first security gate open and shoved Maggie inside. One of the guards screamed and went rolling away, clutching his throat. Glenn clambered to his feet and sprang forward. The steel bars rattled on their runner and slammed on his outstretched arm. The bones broke with a crunch. The makeshift knife fell and shattered. Glenn's arm retreated, allowing Maggie to shut the gate completely. The lock fell into place. Barriers, Maggie huffed. Jesus, Mick muttered, staring up at her bloody face. You look just like 37's picture. Mick had arranged for all of 37's drawings to be taken to Maggie's apartment. They were waiting outside her door when she finished getting her stitches. She showered and slipped into her favorite pajamas, cornflower blue with navy polka dots. She'd learned her lesson about wearing anything else. The day her father was murdered, she'd been wearing green. The day someone tried to cut off her face, she'd been wearing yellow. Nothing bad had ever happened when she was wearing blue. Bree came barging in, screaming about how worried she'd been, demanding to know why Maggie hadn't called her and offering to help her find a safer job right away. Once Maggie calmed her sister down, she explained that she would be staying at Pasquale. She made budget gourmet pasta dishes in the microwave to placate Bree and began flipping through the first box of drawings. She wasn't sure what she was doing. She was just browsing at first, hoping some brilliant idea would come to her. And then it did. She leapt up from the table, startling Bree, who knocked one of the pasta bowls over onto Maggie. Shit! Sorry, Mags. It's fine, she said. I need your help. Three hours later, her walls had been redecorated. They'd made a timeline out of the drawings. The fifties started with the first kills and were in the kitchen since it had the least wall space. The sixties and seventies occupied her living room. The eighties went into the bedroom and the last four years were spread between the hall, bathroom, and coat closet. Maggie paced each room, 
There were no constants. The cause of death and victims varied from image to image. She paused in the bedroom and looked at one of the pictures more closely. She pulled it down and went back to the living room. She'd seen that one before. It took her a while to pick it out, but found it in a spot that previously held her degree. Bree came in holding one for Maggie to see. Did you fucking see this? Maggie held the other two side by side. These aren't the same victims. They're the same M.O. Both strangled with their own bras. And mine, Bree started. She shook her head. This is from last month. Maggie dropped her drawings and took Bree's. The bloody blonde lying at the foot of the steps in black. It was all over the tabloids. It was so wild that her brain hadn't even registered the familiarity. She tried to remember crimes mentioned in her classes. She ripped down one, waving it in the air. Purple dress, brown hair. This is the Zodiac Killer, Brie, she declared. You were in the room with the Zodiac Killer? She shook her head violently. Then why did he draw Nicole Simpson? 37 isn't the Zodiac. You're not paying attention. She turned pale and started to cry. Oh no. What? Camaro, she whispered. He drew a Camaro. Maggie went to the edge of the living room, close to the floor where she found one dated March 17, 1979. A male victim was slumped out of a Camaro, bleeding from the head. Maggie pulled the picture to her chest and sat on the floor, shaking and sobbing wildly. She'd been wearing green that day for St. Patty's. Her father had taken her to the parade. They got something to eat afterward and went to have a picnic at the park. It was starting to get late, and they were going to head home when a man came and asked her daddy for a ride. And for no reason at all, shot him in the face. She never saw the man, but she heard his voice. 37 couldn't speak. She remembered a guest lecturer they'd had in college, a parapsychologist from Maine who talked about the thin line between insanity and psychic phenomena. The idea itself seemed to be insanity at the time, but now she wasn't so sure. 37 wasn't a murderer. He was drawing murder victims as their killers saw them. It's remote viewing, Maggie muttered. She wiped her nose on her sleeve. He's not crazy. Maggie went to the phone. What are you doing? Bree asked. I'm calling Mick. He has to see this right now. Maggie sat on the sofa with a stack of drawings on the table in front of her. They were the ones she'd been able to identify with some certainty. She rocked in place, jumping from the sudden rapping of knuckles on her front door. Bree rubbed her shoulders. Don't worry, I'll get it. Maggie put her head in her hands and rested her elbows on her knees. She growled quietly with irritation at the red splotches of marinara on her blue pants. The notes 37 wrote flickered like a viewmaster reel in her mind. Blue with red on it, she mumbled to herself. Can't draw it yet. Why? Too far into the future? Not a sure thing? The guest knocked again. I'm coming! Bree shouted. So rude. Guests can be rude. Maggie's stomach flipped as she absentmindedly repeated 37's observation. Guests. Barriers. No! Bree turned the deadbolt. The gentle click of it falling out of place boomed like a gunshot in Maggie's head. There was going to be a new drawing in the morning. She scrambled over the back of the couch and fell on her face. Don't open it! 
Bree was turning the knob. It pushed open the rest of the way, batting her against the wall. The intruder stepped in and shut the door. He pressed the serrated back of the buck knife to his lips and shushed Bree's keening. He wore a baby blue rain slicker with the hood pulled up. Maggie crouched on the floor. The man turned to face her. Even with the cheap plastic domino mask, she recognized him. I wondered if you'd figure it out, Mick said. He pointed at the pictures with his weapon. Wallace said you were going to be a real fucking hound dog. Why? Why? Mick ripped a picture off the coat closet door and shook it. Because he drew one of mine. Mick crumpled it and threw it at Bree's face. He can write, Maggie said. Why not turn you in? Draw you doing it for Wallace. I thought he would. That's when I stopped going to the third floor. Mick lifted Bree by her hair and pushed her towards Maggie. Both of you go to the kitchen. 37 only sees the victims. He was trying to tattle on someone back in 54. The cops just took it as a confession. So you could have said something. Had him released, Maggie argued. He doesn't belong in there. Sure he does. Wallace wants to study evil and 37 is a goddamn divining rod for it. He doesn't draw gang shootings, robberies gone wrong, jealous lovers. He only draws murders where the motive was enjoyment. Mick swirled the knife in the air. I don't know what that shit was this afternoon with you. Maggie eased Bree into a chair and checked the cut where her head met the wall. He's never drawn a future event before. Maybe since it wasn't fatal, he could see it clearly. Or maybe he was flirting. I don't blame him. You're a little more alive than I normally like them. But that's about to change. Bree pushed away from the chair, swinging a candlestick for Mick's face. He slashed her arm and torso before shoving her away. Maggie tried to run around him, but Mick checked her with his shoulder into the counter. Bree crawled under the dining table. Are you kidding me? Mick laughed. I can still get to you. Guess you're the brains of the family, Maggie. Maggie bit her lip. Bree's blood ran like raindrops down the blue vinyl of Mick's slicker. 37's notes came back to her once more. She understood why he couldn't draw it, or at least she hoped she did. Her hand slipped into the sink, and she let the floodgates open on her anger. Fuck you, Mick! You can stab defenseless girls, you big fucking badass! Ha! She shook her head. Some mental case with a hard-on had you pissing your pants earlier. You dumb bitch. Mitch shook his head. I wasn't afraid of him. Not him, Mickey. Come on, we learned this the first day of class. It's basic psychology. Maggie smiled widely. You shut your fucking mouth. That's why you use the knife. You saw Glenn's giant throbbing cock, and you remembered how pathetic that little limp gummy worm of yours is. No! What is that, Mickey? A five-inch blade? How goddamn small are you that you're compensating with five measly inches? Mick had heard enough. He charged across the kitchen, flipping the knife over in his hand to drive it through her skull. Maggie's hands flashed from the sink and she sprang forward to meet him. The buck knife fell, sticking into the linoleum. Maggie twisted the Ginsu 2000 and stepped to the side, dragging it across. Mick stumbled and braced himself on the counter, staring at the intestines around his loafers. He felt fingers cupping his mouth and Maggie's warm breath on his ear. But wait, 
There's more, she whispered. She stabbed the knife into the side of his neck and sawed her way out. Mick fell over in a heap. He laid there gurgling and wheezing until he finally went still. Maggie went to the table and sat on the floor. Bree crawled beside her and rested her head in her sister's lap. Best 1995 I ever spent, Maggie said softly. But will it still slice a tomato? Bree asked. We'll check when you get out of the hospital. Maggie helped her sister into a chair once more and called 911. She wouldn't be able to tell them about 37. She knew he'd have a new drawing for her when she returned to work. Maybe he'd even tell her his name. But she'd never be able to get him out of that cell. She paced the kitchen, looking at the images. She went to the living room and removed the quilt from the sofa. It dawned on her then. 37 never denied the murders. He never wanted out. He knew what was loose in the world and wanted to be safe in that little room. Maggie hugged Bree, wrapping her in seven shades of blue, and she completely understood. We just need to feel safe. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Oh, that brought all the terrifying feelings I was hoping to have on this hump day. If you find Wednesday as mundane as I do, I sure hope we help you find a little bit of fun in the middle of your week. Thank you so much for listening, my friends, and thank you so much to all the folks joining up on Patreon. I really cannot tell you how much it means to me to have your support because we need it. If we want to bring the spooky every single week, we need your support. We've been in this for over two years, and I got to tell you, I'm eyeing October. That's our month to shine, and believe you me, we'll shine like diamonds. A blood diamond. And speaking of great Patreon backers, I want to say an extra special thank you to our Patreon podcast boosters, folks who pay just a little extra every month to hear their name through my velvety voice. We have Christopher Sullivan, Kathy Proke, Gino Lyons, Karen Wiemet, Jack Kerr, Jeff and George Hilton, Craig Cohen, and Kevin Fry. Thank you all so much for all of your help and support. And if you want to help and support, just go to weeklyspooky.com and click on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get bonus content, my undying gratitude, and so much more. And you guarantee that we keep coming back every week and nothing, not even death, can stop us. <laughs> oh, that got creepy. Speaking of creepy, head to 2 and check out my new TV show, Boggy Creek, the series, a terrifying show about Bigfoot, monsters, and so much more. But anyway, my friends, it's time for me to get out of here. I hope everybody has an excellent and scary week. I know I will. So for our executive producer, Rob Fields, our producer, Dan Wilder, and our composer, Ray Mattis, I will talk at you next week. And I can't wait. Thank you for listening. Make sure to find your way back next week. But for now, you are safe. Trust me. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.